0: Hello, and welcome to the Hearn Hymn Podcast. I'm Dale.
1: And I am Tamara.
0: And when two theologians get married, what you get...
1: Is a podcast.
0: Alright, so let's start out the podcast with something that's kind of a bummer. And that is when our trusted pastors and Christian leaders do something dumb, heinous, and otherwise Immoral.
1: That doesn't sound like we're going to have a very encouraging podcast.
0: I mean, maybe not, but maybe towards the end it'll take a turn.
1: I hope so, because I really don't want our podcast to be down and negative all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if you have been following the news, and particularly the Christian news, you may have heard the name... It's a different sort of a news. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But if you've been following, you might have heard the name Jerry Falwell Jr. in the headlines recently uh, because he's really gotten himself into it. And he had been the president at Liberty University, and he... Which,
1: if you are not familiar, is a Christian university based out of Virginia. And I had first heard of that university actually quite a few years ago because They offered far more online courses than I think any Christian university. Uh, So they're sort of known pretty widely within the Christian community for really paving the way for online courses and entire degrees online as a Christian
0: university. Yeah, but it seems like the president was engaged in different online activities.
1: Yes, that's a good segue.
0: Or a little less helpful. Uh, well, he got in trouble because he posted a picture on – I can't remember if it was Instagram or Facebook of him at a party with a woman who wasn't his wife and his pants were unzipped and her pants were unzipped. And I guess it was this like costume party and it was one of the 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 people on a reality TV show is pregnant and that's just how they wear their pants in the show. So it was something of a joke. But it just came across really poorly. So he got put on indefinite leave. And then while he was on indefinite leave, there were other accusations that came out. At this moment, I'm not sure if they're confirmed or what the status of that is, but the accusation was from a man who said that he was having a sexual affair with Jerry Falwell Jr. and Falwell's wife, Becky, that. He would have sex with Becky while Jerry Falwell would watch, which if that's true, that's really heinous. And he has since been let go from the university.
1: Yeah, there really is just this deep sadness when you see Christian leaders fall. And I know Christian leaders make mistakes in the same way all leaders do in the same way all people do. But there certainly is this standard that leaders are held to because people are looking up to them and expecting them to be more disciplined in their life and to be living more uh, morally upright lives, knowing that people are following after them. And Jerry Falwell Jr. is certainly not the first or the last. And uh, another example would be John Christ, which we really love John Christ, And I remember hearing about his scandal, I suppose you could call it. And I was just really saddened by it as well. Uh, Saddened for him and for the people that he influences. Of course, he's not a pastor. He's not an organizational leader. He's a comedian, but he has a public voice and he has a Christian public voice that a lot of people look to him And he had some really upsetting allegations happen against him. And I think to some degree he admitted fault and to some degree he admitted guilt to certain things, not to all things. But he ended up actually canceling himself and went to a rehab as a result. And so he's another example of another Christian leader that unfortunately has made some pretty large mistakes with their platform.
0: Yeah, another one would be Bill Hybels. This happened a couple of years ago. Bill Hybels was the pastor of Willow Creek Church, and is a huge church, kind of a new model of doing church. He had this huge leadership network, and he had some allegations against him shortly before he was about to retire that he was basically abusive, sexually coercive to the women who worked for him. And really ended up imploding all of the, the work that he had built and all these great things that he had done because of the the moral failures taking place behind the scenes. And then another one would be like Mark Driscoll, who was a, a pastor in the Pacific Northwest, and he had allegations against him that basically his leadership style was abusive. It was, there was nothing sexual there, but kind of a hostile work environment, hostile leadership tactics, and kind of abuse of power. And so this is really a common story with people who are in leadership and who are in a place of moral leadership that can do a lot of damage to a lot of people because you have a lot of influence. And so we see that in the news. Uh, we've also seen it personally. I mean, there's a couple of stories from churches that I've uh, gone to uh, growing up. There, I was at a church where one of the worship leaders for the young adults group Uh, cheated on her husband with uh, a high school senior who was in the youth group, perhaps even worse when I was younger. There was a man who was like a Bible study leader, and at one point he was even an elder on the elder board and was later revealed to be a pedophile. And so this is is something that happens. This is something that if you're involved in the church for any length of time, uh, you've probably had some kind of encounter.
1: Yeah, and I can relate to similar stories of what we're seeing in the headlines and also your own personal examples. I had attended a church where the youth pastor cheated on his wife with one of the youth students and he ended up going to jail for it. I mean, the leadership team really took that serious. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think he, he might still be in jail to this day, but I, I know it was, Not only devastating for the church, but devastating for his wife and all that she had to endure because she served alongside him in the exact same youth group, and so I'm sure there was a lot of difficult dynamics there. But the moral failures we see within leadership isn't always sexual. I think those are sort of the the biggest and most alarming ones that kind of I mean those make the the gossip train a little bit quicker than other ones. But I also had something personal against me when, you know, I went to the prayer team at my church and I'd confided in the leader of the prayer team. And before you knew it, my prayer was twisted and turned into something completely different. And I had several women come up to me, very concerned for me. And I quickly realized my prayer was, was really part of gossip within the church and I was hurt. I was really hurt because I thought I went to someone, a leader, and confided them with something personal in my life. And very quickly, more people knew about it than I wanted to. And it wasn't anything bad on my end. You know, it wasn't like some sin that needed to be called out or disciplined like we see in, in the Scripture. But it was something just personal that I, <laughs> I didn't want people to know about. So... I think we see different types of failure within leadership, and it's not only these blatant sexual sins that a lot of us are very alarmed by and taken back by, but even gossip itself is sin, and uh, we see a lot of leadership, unfortunately, fall short of the standard that leadership should be held to.
0: Yeah, so... Probably everybody can relate to these stories. And these events can really be devastating to people's faith. And it can cause some people to walk away from the church. I know a lot of cases where where that's happened. And even worse yet, it can lead people to walk away from Jesus altogether. And, I mean, that's awful. Uh, Jesus said himself that, If you lead one of these little ones astray, it'd be better for you to have a rock tied around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea than to do that. So this is really serious. So what we want to do is we want to take a look at a little bit of why this happens and really also how we can respond to these awful situations in a way that actually strengthens our faith rather than destroying it. Because there's a real danger of faith destruction in moments like these. But there is also an opportunity for a strengthening of our faith and a realignment of our faith. And so we want to start by looking at morally flawed leaders in the Bible, how that came about, what the response was, and just kind of use that to graft it over our modern situations. Because the more things change, the more they stay the same. This has been an issue in leadership since the beginning.
1: Yeah, and that really goes back to the fallen nature of humanity and the fact that even if we have come to a saving faith in Christ it doesn't mean that we have seen the full glory and the full redemption of our sin yet I mean the New Testament is very clear about that struggle that we continue to have and as hard as it is to watch leaders fall And as difficult and painful as it is for people who were underneath those leaders, we see clear examples in Scripture that this is not anything new. And in the Old Testament, Book of Judges is probably the best book, (laughs) too.
0: I mean, before that time, there were certainly flawed leaders. Yes. Wherever there was a leader. But in this age of Israel, it was really apparent. Like, Moses is dead. Joshua is dead. They've entered into the promised land, but it's kind of like, now what?
1: Yeah. So there wasn't really anyone specifically appointed to, you are the leader of this nation. You are the one in charge because that person was God. And that was understood among the people of God. But there still were these seasons uh, where someone was placed in a role of a judge,
0: and what had happened? There was, there was really this vacuum of like spiritual, moral leaders that were embedded in the community and leading them towards obedience. And so the Book of Judges says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and that didn't go very well because they would begin worshiping pagan gods and doing uh, pagan worship practices, and then as a result, God would allow other nations surrounding them to encroach upon their sovereignty. Then the people would cry out to God. God would raise up a judge. The judge would lead them in victory and back into obedience. But then the judge would die and then the people would go back through this cycle. And there's seven cycles of this in the book of Judges. And even through the book of Judges, the later judges, you can see their moral fallibility is increasingly worse
1: Yeah. And the phrase that continues to come up after each judge, after the story of each judge and and what had happened during their time as a judge, the last line you see before the next judge is, and they did what was right in their own eyes. And that's really the whole theme of the book of Judges is this morally corrupt (laughs) nation of Israel. And it's not so much out of a lack of leadership, that they were morally corrupt.
0: It's a lack of good leadership, really. Yes,
1: it's a lack of good leadership.
0: Because when you look to a guy like Samson to be the savior of your nation, I mean, that guy was a meathead. He was he was a complete fool. And God still ended up using him, but it, it illustrates the moral fallibility of the leadership that was coming to the fore.
1: Yeah, and so out of the book of Judges, you see this cry from the people of Israel who say we want a king. We want to be like the rest of the nations around us who have one person who oversees the entire nation, and that was a king during this time. And so the people were crying out and, and pleading with God and asking him, could you please give us a king? And
0: and it makes sense because they had been languishing under these judges, and this rise and fall, they're like, can we get just a stable king who's going to be like the other nations and just lead us?
1: Right. But God kept telling them, no, that's not what you guys need. You don't need a king to rule you. You just need to continue to be obedient to me. And I am your king. I am the one who leads you. I am the one who will guide you. But that just wasn't acceptable for the people. Uh, I think you had said it earlier, like they they wanted a leader with flesh on. And that's why they wanted a king. And God finally said, "Okay, I will give you a king. But I promise you, this is not going to be the solution that you that you have longed for it to be.
0: Yeah, because the king is going to tax you. The king is going to try and build his own power. The king is going to lead you into decisions that inevitably aren't going to be good for you. And they said, we want a king. He said, "Okay, I'll give you a king.
1: And the first king over the nation of Israel was Saul, which started off. Okay.
0: Well, at the very beginning, it started off kind of sketchy because he didn't want to be the king.
1: Right. But But then once he got the role, then it started okay. Yeah, once he was kind of in that role. But then it really went south towards the end of Saul's kingship and he became like a crazy power-hungry tyrant. And then we see David.
0: And we love David.
1: Right. Everyone loves David. Who doesn't love David? But then you also see the... Moral issues with David's life. I mean, he he slept with Bathsheba, who was the wife of another man.
0: They who, murdered the man.
1: Yeah, and then he murdered the man. so Bathsheba's husband was actually out on the battlefield fighting for David <laughs> when David slept with Bathsheba. And so... David's
0: the original Mr. Yo girl.
1: Yes, yeah. And he tried fixing the situation, but it didn't really fix anything, and he ended up actually killing... Bathsheba's husband, so he certainly has some some major issues. As much as we look up to David, and but really,
0: that was a pivotal moment for him because that derailed the latter parts of his life. Yes, and, in many other ways, there when, was a lot
1: of consequences that came out of that decision.
0: And when the king's life is rattled like that, it rattles the nation.
1: Yeah, and so after that, like you kind of go through the rest of the kings and the many issues that came up after king after king.
0: Right, because then you get into Solomon, who started (laughs) strong, but then same thing. He had 800 wives and started listening to the religious thoughts of his wives and going after other gods. After he died, the nation descended into civil war because he didn't have a super good succession plan, I guess, and what the next king should be doing, and it split into two nations. And of all of the literally dozens of kings that came after that, in the northern kingdom, there never was a king that God deemed as someone who was faithful to him. In fact, part of the founding of that northern kingdom was it was established around idol worship. Yeah. So there wasn't a single king that followed after God. And then in the southern kingdom, I think there was only about five of those kings that were deemed as faithful. And so it really was a horror show after mm-hmm. Solomon where it, the the nation just descended into poor leadership in the same way they were during the age of the judges and it eventually led to Israel's exile.
1: Yeah, and we just went through a massive amount of history in like a few minutes here, so <laughs> we're sorry that we didn't like explain piece by piece. But if you're curious in the history of just the leadership of Israel, First and Second Kings is really a good place to go to. But really, the moral of all of these kings' lives and the way that Scripture is continuing to show them and and the decisions they made and how they led the nation of Israel, it really just boils down to. Don't put your trust in kings. Put your trust in God alone. And that's what God was telling them from the very beginning when they were begging for a king. And he told them, I promise this is not really what you want. And we know this, but we still put our trust in fallible human leaders.
0: And that's the thing, because we need leaders. Right. Like, we can't just all communally move in a direction and so there's there's obviously something good about leaders Paul in the New Testament talks about what kind of leaders we need to have and all of those things revolve around having good moral character it's interesting that Paul doesn't put a whole lot of emphasis on the competency or the skills of a leader he more puts it on the character of a leader. That's, and now obviously he, when he selected people, he selected people who are competent, who had skills, who could be trained in certain ways. But really he says, your leadership is going to rise and fall on your character. And so we need those leaders that are going to move the group in a direction. But there's that line of the leader, regardless of how virtuous they are, they're fallible and they're not Jesus. And we can't put, Our hope in them. We can trust them. We can be hopeful about them. We can support them and admire them, but our our hope and our faith can't hinge on them.
1: Yeah. And that really leads us to the next kind of piece of this podcast. How can we respond to the failings of our leaders? Because it's inevitable that they're going to fail in some way. Now, whether it's these large scale ways that can completely undermines their entire year spent in leadership, like some of the examples we shared earlier. Or they're just smaller ways that, you know, the leaders fail. And we're gonna see that happen in our lifetime and we're gonna we're not only gonna see it once, but we're gonna see it over and over. And if you are a leader I'm sure that if you, you really are honest with yourself and, and kind of reflect on your season of leadership, you can even point out some of your own flaws. You can even point out some of your own shortcomings as a leader specifically. And hopefully, you know, you're continuing to learn from that. But uh, I know in my own situations of being in any form of leadership, I can certainly look back in and think like, wow, I did not handle that well or my flesh came out in that moment and I was not doing what I was supposed to do, but it's important that as people who are following after leaders, that we don't only pick them to pieces, but we take some kind of responsibility on our end of how are we going to respond if and when a leader in our life fails us. And one of the first ways to respond is just know that your leaders and pastors are going to fail.
0: And obviously there's a spectrum there. Right. Because, you know, as a leader, there's situations where it's like, yeah, I got more angry in that situation than I should have. Or in another situation, I was motivated by fear or jealousy when I should have been motivated by the mission. There's things on that end of the spectrum that do have consequences, that do end up hurting people, that you you, you made a decision for the wrong reason or you made the wrong decision And that hurts people. The spectrum of that all the way up to something egregious, like I was embezzling money or I was sleeping with the secretary or whatever. Uh, Just know that your leaders are going to fail on some end of that spectrum. And obviously there's different consequences and different responses.
1: Right. Like some of them should be removed from leadership. And that's very clear. Where some make a mistake and it doesn't necessarily mean they need to be removed, but... There should be some kind of intervention or redemption or, or something happening there, but just because a leader does makes a mistake does not mean they have to be removed from leadership. Uh, there's, like you said, there's a spectrum that that we as people who are following them need to understand and uh, also extend grace.
0: And so, just know that your leader on at some point on that spectrum is going to fail you, is going to disappoint you, is going to hurt you, because that's part of. The fallenness of humanity. And so, knowing that, and knowing that your pastor puts on his pants one leg at a time, just like you do. Yeah. Like, no, they're, like they're they're human. Yeah. They're
1: human and they go through the same doubts that you go through. They go through the same fears and anxieties and battles of, am I in the right position in my life? Is this really what God has called me to? Like leaders struggle with all of those things as well. And so it's just important that when when you see a leader fall, that your response is not shock in the sense of your faith is entirely uprooted and shaken to its core. It certainly is okay to be shocked, but we should never hold our leaders and pastors on a pedestal as if they have to be absolutely perfect. And anything less than that means our faith in Jesus is on the line.
0: And I think it's okay to grieve that. It's important to grieve that actually. And even to be shocked or surprised or even caught off guard because you trust your leaders All of that is natural, and I think if you are completely unsurprised or completely cynical, that's bad. So you just need to have this healthy sense of grace, a healthy sense of reality, but also with a sense of hope as well.
1: Yeah, and we can put systems in place that can help safeguard some of these failures from leaders, which to some degree is helpful.
0: Oh yeah, like uh, certain safeguards around how the money is handled in a church or an organization or what kind of boundaries you have between men and women and things like that.
1: Right, but the systems and safeguards are not going to be the end-all be-all because ultimately when we see leaders fall, it's it's truly an issue of their own heart.
0: Right, and I think we see this with like the Billy Graham rule where the Billy Graham rule is a male leader will never have a private meeting with a woman or uh, ever be alone with a woman at all in any context at all. And a lot of people are actually rethinking that because the context that Billy Graham was in was there wasn't really women leaders at that time in the fifties and sixties. And now there are, and that rule sometimes is keeping them from opportunities. And Tamara, I think you've experienced this personally where there are certain opportunities because you're a woman you can't get into the room because you're kind of seen as this sexual threat, I guess. Yes. Um, which I think in Billy Graham's time, it, it, it made sense. It, ma- it maybe makes less sense now. And I think the other counterpoint against it is that people who uphold the Billy Graham rule, it's not. it doesn't seem to be working that well.
1: Mm. Like they're still falling.
0: Yeah, in the same yeah. level mm. of frequency. Yeah. And so there may be... Space to rethink that rule in particular, but certainly putting these boundaries in place is important, but really, for leaders themselves it the the most important thing you can do is to check yourself and stay vigilant uh, and have others in your life that will stay vigilant with you and call you out
1: yeah, and people that really know you that you can't you can 't talk your way around. Oh, well, that's not what that was. Or, you know, because there's always scenarios that you know the true intentions of your heart and you know what really was happening in that situation. And if you have people who can read you and know you well enough they can call you out Uh, it doesn't mean everyone should should be able to do that or would know you on that level but it is important to surround yourself with people to keep you accountable especially as a leader and that's that's probably a good system um, as well as we're talking about systems but systems and rules are not always going to be the answer
0: because the system is only as effective as the heart of the person behind it
1: Hmm. yeah and when pastors fail big or small, and they personally hurt you, or, you know, like the examples we listed earlier, you probably weren't personally hurt by any of those ones because you weren't directly involved. But you can see the effects of what that leader did on the church, and you can even see how that raises questions within your own context and congregation and the way that you view leaders too. But we have to be cautious of taking the failures of our leaders and then putting that on Jesus and saying, Jesus has failed me because of this leader who has done wrong in some way.
0: Right. Like Jesus is not the hypocrite in the situation. It's that leader that failed in that way. And it can be tough to distinguish those things unless ahead of time you are intentional about the fact that you're separating the person from Jesus A lot of times those lines get kind of murky, and that's when we get into trouble. And obviously when when a leader fails, it it hurts, but you are in danger of being devastated beyond the point of repair when you begin to conflate Jesus with your favorite Christian leader.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of a large issue, I think, with the whole celebrity pastor thing where you have one pastor that it's really their face, their ministry, that we only think of them. We might not even know what church they're associated with. We might not know anything else about them. And we put them on this pedestal again, and we think no one else is as great as them. No one else teaches the gospel as good as they do, or no one else captures my attention in the same way. And to put any pastor, regardless of how large or small their church is, on a pedestal and associate that directly with your faith as opposed to associating Jesus with the reason you've come to faith. We really run ourselves into some difficult situations if that particular leader falls because it can shatter us and it can shatter everything that we think about the faith. And that's putting your faith again in man and not in God.
0: Yeah. So it's important to Really keep things in their proper place. Admire your pastors and leaders. Follow them. Support them. Don't put your faith in them. Don't worship them. That's really what we're we're driving at here is a lot of times we worship fallen people rather than God. But as we continue this conversation, I think it's important for us to also talk about restoration in leadership, uh, where there has been a, a moral failing and in some cases an epic moral failing. And kind of discuss what restoration looks like, what it should look like.
1: Yeah, and the Bible is all about restoration. Like, that's the story of the gospel. It's about redemption and restoration. And that's why Jesus came. He came to fully restore not only humanity, but even creation itself. Like, he's on this mission of restoring things and redeeming things. And... To remove that peace from anyone within the church, whether whether they were a member of the church who has sinned greatly and fallen, or a leader of the church who has sinned greatly and fallen, to remove restoration and redemption is to remove the heart of Jesus from that situation. And that road of redemption is not the same for every single situation, but Restoration and redemption has to, absolutely has to be part of the conversation. You can't just cut someone off and then that's the end of it. If it's a leader, if it's a lead pastor in the church, it might mean they need to step down from leadership. But that doesn't mean that's the end. There needs to be some kind of restoration for them, whether it's restoring them back into just the congregation in some way, it might not mean restoring them back into leadership, but it it just depends on the situation. And so if restoration and redemption is removed from the conversation, then we're not actually following the biblical model that Jesus has set for us.
0: Yeah. And I think this is a situation where we get to practice the radical grace of Jesus, Mm -hmm. the kind of grace that makes us feel uncomfortable. But really that is the kind of transformative love that Jesus has given to us. We even see biblical precedent for restoration of leaders who have failed epically, and that's no more clear than in the story of Peter, who on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he denied even knowing Jesus three times. And Jesus was there. Jesus saw it. Jesus was in chains, and he got scourged, and he was on a cross and killed, all the while seeing that his right-hand man had abandoned him. And so I'm sure that Peter really carried that with him. But after Jesus's resurrection, he had this powwow with Peter uh, on a beach, and they were eating breakfast together. And Jesus goes through this series of questions where three times he asked Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, of course I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep. And in the same way that he had failed three times, he's restored three times in that same way. And he goes on to be really the face of the the first generation of the church, him and a couple of other names. But that promise that Jesus had made that he gave him that name, Peter says, you're on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus meant that. And even though Peter had failed epically, he restored him and he was able to continue in that mission you just imagine like if peter is like well you're disqualified and that's it because you failed all of the good work that the church would have missed out on had he not been restored
1: and that's really a terrifying thought too on a personal level if you make a mistake you are cut off and you can never go back that's
0: that's very punitive Yeah, yeah
1: that's awful and And yet the gospel teaches something so radically different than that.
0: It's crazy because we love the story of someone who is like a murderer or a gang member, drug addict, and then they came to faith in Jesus and were like, everything's forgiven. But if you were someone who was following after Jesus and then you tripped and fell and failed epically in some kind of a moral way— yeah, I guess all your grace is used up. Yeah, and yeah. it becomes a lot Gosh. of times. I think because there's hurt, it's there it becomes very mm-hmm. punitive and vindictive.
1: And in some ways, I not that I understand it, but in some ways, I can see where the comment of "well, they should have known better."
0: I mean, they in. should. That's, it's they true. Should've, they should have known. They should have
1: known better. But they
0: did know better. Probably
1: is right. But to limit the grace of God, like we don't get to control that. We don't get to say the grace of God only goes this far. The sin that you just committed after being saved, the blood of Christ doesn't cover that anymore. But pre-salvation, blood of Christ covers it all. Like it just, there's so many holes in the argument. And unfortunately, I have seen great leaders fall and never receive restoration. And... That's tragic because, again, that's the mission of Jesus. And so to even take your own, your own people, and say, we preach this good news, but not to you. It doesn't apply to you anymore. If you're on the inside, it doesn't apply to you. It just, it just doesn't make any sense.
0: And we even see that, I think one example we mentioned at the top of the podcast, Mark Driscoll, who lost his post in his church in the Pacific Northwest, and it was really tragic because... After that, the church kind of just disintegrated. But he ended up planting another church uh, down in Arizona. And by all accounts, it's a thriving church. It seems like there, there's there been some changes made in him. Uh, but even with all of that, and I don't know him personally, obviously, so I don't know all the <laughs> inner workings. I don't go to his church. I don't know the inner workings of it. But it seems like there's been some good restoration there and a, and a pivot there. But even with that, there's a lot of hate he gets right? because people don't want him to Mm. be in that post, don't want him to succeed in that way or be in that leadership because of the previous failings that he had.
1: Sin is just so messy because it's not only the sin that he committed, but then it's also he's being sinned against in some ways by people not extending anything other than hate and anger to him and i'm i, I don't know him i don't really actually know anything about him but <laughs> but there is opportunity for redemption and as christians we have to be open to not only accepting that redemption and restoration that Jesus offers us, but we need to be able to extend it out to others too. And even if they have fallen as a Christian leader, we need to be able to extend that. And I've seen that done in a church that I attended where, a youth leader. So it wasn't the pastor of the youth ministry. It was just one of the leaders within the ministry who she was having sex outside of marriage. She was like in her early twenties and she was volunteering as a leader. And it came out to the leadership team that she was having sex outside of marriage. And they actually asked her to step down as a youth leader, basically, uh, obviously because it's going against scripture, but in the context of ministry that she was serving, they thought it was no longer appropriate for her to continue to be a leader in that context, which I certainly agree. And maybe four or five years later, she's now able to be back on leadership teams, volunteering as leadership uh, within youth group again. And so it took time. It took life change for her. It took repentance. It took uh, just a lot of conversation between her and the other leaders. But there was this whole process of restoration given to her. And the leadership team, when they asked her to step down, it was with the full intention of how can we restore you? And even in this hard call we're having to do, we want you to know that our end goal is restoration, not to just cut you off and and never talk to you again. And I think that's what we all need to be open to. And not only open to, but that has to be our end goal. Our end goal for anybody who has fallen because of sin should be okay, you might need to step down in this season, or you might not be able to return to this form of leadership again. But what does restoration look like in this scenario?
0: Yeah. And that's the purpose of church discipline. The purpose of church discipline isn't punishment for its own sake, it's there to bring restoration to that person to that community and i think a lot of times we lose sight of that and of course as you lay out that plan for restoration it's up to that person to step with you into that plan of restoration and so there's some people that never are really restored because on their end they don't want to walk the path of restoration but there is this other side where if we don't provide a path of restoration then it's on us
1: yes And by no means is the hope of restoration mean that there's no consequences for your sin. There are certainly consequences. Even after
0: you've been restored.
1: Yes. There are consequences that just happen as a fallout of it. And it's not because someone is saying, here is your consequence. I give it to you. It's not like, that's not how it works, but you, <laughs> you lose trust. You have to earn your consequences. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like here, here's your five consequences for what you've did. But if it's a trust issue, you're going to have to re-earn that trust. And maybe for some people, you might not be able to get that trust back. And that's a consequence. Even if you've been restored in a different way, there might be certain people that your relationship does not return to what it was before. And that's hard. But as we continue to see leaders who, again, we need, we need leaders, we need them, God put them in places for reasons, and we all can't just walk around just in this sort of communal space and and no one moving any direction and everyone going their own way and doing their own thing. But as we see leaders fall, we need to have the end goal of restoration in mind. And that is painful if you were hurt by a leader, if you were hurt by what they did, And if there was some negative repercussion that happened in your own personal life because of their choices, restoration can be hard, but the road to restoration is what Jesus has called us to, even when leaders make the most egregious of sins.
0: And really that's what Jesus died for and rose again for. And it certainly wasn't easy for him And in the same way, it's not going to be easy for us. And so, really, that's why we need to look beyond our leaders to Jesus to lead us through this.
1: Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast.
0: If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week.
1: We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review.
0: And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com, where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us.
1: Thanks again. We'll see you next week.